Blog Talk Radio. I'm a truth terrorist. I'm a knowledge gangster. I'm a black history hitman. I'm a lie killer, urban gorilla. I gotta be a rough nag. Free the Black Panthers. FCBP. Stand for Free the Black Panthers. If up the black police. That 13th Amendment. Trying to make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers, and fuck the black police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here, in the bill here, up coins, hell pro. Show, they got me started, lying hearted, I'm the new Mufasa. And I'm all about Umoja, first in Guzu Saba. Let's bring back the black families, we need our father. Single mama, son and daughter, that's root of the problem. Wise up, we wise up. Unity is so powerful. Black banks, black schools, black gone, black power moves. You telling lies, you think this shit won't be televised. Black power, be scared guys, that be standing there like they paralyzed. Huh? We say fuck the system, cause we above the system. We keep ARs and pistols, shotguns that's worth the crystal. But that's for self-defense, make sure we have no issues. Be sure to leave it at the door if you have it with you. This for them freedom fighters that lost their freedom. Until they freedom, we screaming carpe diem. This for the general. King Khalid Muhammad, we gon' make your day a holiday. I fuck me promise. Free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers. And fuck the Black Police, that 13th Amendment, tryna make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers. And fuck the Black Police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here in the bill here. Up coin tail pro. RBG, 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 RBG. My sisters, my brothers, the council, the elders, that's really all I need. We suited, we booted, don't do it, you stupid, we head to the armory. Black women and goddess, regardless, my heart just don't fuck with misogyny, foolish that don't tolerate it. Melanated, so you gotta hate it. But rock up, up another conversation. Trump finna get inaugurated, damn. Unify or die, nbpp.org. First and foremost, the new Black Panther Party, no no other Black Panther Party, we are not violent. We are for self-defense and self-determination. The most violent group in this country are the police. What is taking place by the police department to black people across this country is ethnic cleansing and genocide. It has escalated since the day that Barack Obama was inaugurated in 2008. We have a, 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 a people who are only 13% of the population, yet we make up 80% of the prisons. We have 50% unemployment rate in the black community, and it's actually even more than that because they're not counting our people that are in the prisons. The 13th Amendment says you cannot be made a slave or indigenous servant unless you commit a crime. The 14th Amendment forced our people to be subjects of this government. We never had any say in that. We need our own nation.
More than 150 years after slavery was abolished in the United States, St. Louis, Missouri is creating a commission to address the inequities and damage caused by slavery through reparations. To discuss this, I'm joined by PBS NewsHour's community correspondent in St. Louis, Gabby Hayes. Gabby, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. I want to start by asking you how this effort began. Absolutely. You know, um, this commission, Reparations Commission, was announced last month um, here in the city of St. Louis um, by the mayor's office. Our mayor is Mayor Kishar Jones, who is the first black woman ever to be the mayor here in our city's history. And so, you know, I spoke to city officials who are close to the commission, you know, the planning aspects and kind of laying out what it will look like. And essentially what they've told me is that this is a part of our city's, um, you know, attempt or work to take a look at some of our ugly histories. In fact, one official told me, you know, we, we can't sweep these things under a rug. Um, any longer. In fact, the mayor even said the day that the that it was announced that you know we can't succeed as a city if half of the city is allowed to fail. And so um, that's some of the thought process behind launching this. It also begs the question, you know, why now, and who is leading this charge? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that, you know, this is something we're not just seeing here in St. Louis, but across the country. You know, if you, if you do a quick Google search of reparations commissions, you'll see them in several cities across the country, not just cities, but different states. And so I think this is just St. Louis's chapter of a broader conversation. And we're seeing this not only from, you know, different community members, um, you know, black leadership across the country, um, but also, you know, organizations who have been involved in this work for a long time. And so, as I said, I think what we're looking at is, um, you know, the city of St. Louis's um, opportunity to take a look at our chapter of a much broader, bigger national story. As you know, through your reporting, reparations comes in many different forms. How do you define reparations in this context, and what will it look like once this commission is up and running? Yeah, that's a good question. We know that the commission is going to have nine people on it, um, and there are some guidelines for what type of roles that the city is hoping um, these individuals will play or, or what backgrounds they, they come from, I should say. So um, we know that one of the members will be a lawyer. There will be a civil rights advocate, an academic, um, somebody from a clergy, um, a, a member of the youth. And so, you know, when I was talking to city officials, what they were imparting on me and telling me is that the, the hope is for this to be community-led so that as a community um, people can start to answer the question that you asked, which is, what will this look like? What does reparations look like? And so um, that's sort of what we'll see in moving forward. And like many other bodies across the country, um, it will be, um, there will be public hearings and public meetings so that members of the community can come and share their voices and share their own stories, you know, as we've seen in other areas. And so, uh, you know, what they're being tasked with looking at is not just, as you said, the legacy, you know, what slavery was and what it looked like here, but also all of the ways that the effects of it, the impacts of it translate to this very day. So it sounds like this committee will be made of, this commission rather, will be uh, composed of 
intentionally intersectional people within the community in order to make those decisions around what the definition of reparations is and what the actual needs are there. Now, in your reporting, you also acknowledge that the St. Louis is doing more than, than just working with this commission in order to address and acknowledge how slavery has impacted the lives of people in St. Louis and uh, in the past and in the present. What are some of those other things that the city is doing? Well, I think that, you know, part of it is acknowledging that racism exists in so many different systems and has continued to across um, across years and generations, right? And so um, as a city, we've had several different instances where we're taking a look at some of those difficult stories. Most recently, I, a couple of weeks ago, I went to a memorial unveiling highlighting a black neighborhood that was bulldozed in the 1950s and 60s under urban renewal. It was called Mill Creek, and, and, and that displacement uh, displaced nearly 20,000 human beings, mostly black. And, and so that's under urban renewal policy, which in a lot of ways across the country targeted black people and people of color. And so um, now there's a memorial in St. Louis that will um, take a look at that um, and, and, and serve as a place for people to go to and, and ensure that, it, that we don't forget. And then last year, um, you know, the city also unveiled a memorial in front of the Civil Courts building called the Freedom Suits Memorial. And that memorial was to honor the hundreds of enslaved black people that sued for their freedom before Dred Scott. And so, you know, when I'm talking to community members and I'm talking to people from the city, they tell me, you know, as I said earlier, that we have to take the steps to acknowledge this history and not sweep it under the rug, but also that it has to go a step past acknowledgement. And so when we're talking about confronting these histories, you know, it's a start, but there's also more to do. There are also other cities that are, are having these conversations. What are you seeing happening in other cities? Is this push happening elsewhere in the country? Absolutely. Well, we're seeing it not only in other cities, but other states, right? So um, whether it's um, other cities creating their own commission, so Evanston, Illinois, which is one notable example, um, Asheville, uh, you know, Boston, Detroit. I mean, there are a lot of cities across the country who are coming up with their own commissions and task forces and, and, and taking time to look at their own histories and maybe what they could do um, to answer to, you know, what reparations could look like for their communities. A focus on reparations is also happening in California. What's the status of their task force, and where are they in their journey of exploring this? Absolutely. Well, as I said, I spoke to one of their task force members, and uh, what he told me was, you know, they kind of broke down their process in three different phases. He says they're in phase two right now, and in the last phase, as I said earlier, would be to, you know, get those recommendations off to um, the legislature, uh, you know, and so I think... Um, I mean, their work has been ongoing. As I said, they delivered a, I mean, a 400-page interim report, and I read a lot of that, you know, breaking down their state's history. And what the task force told me is that what their hope is is to, in some ways, be a blueprint for, for other cities and other states who are looking to do this work. Um, and I know that they have been in conversation with other cities looking to figure out how they are doing what they are doing. And so... Uh, we can expect 
um, a final sort of report or recommendations from that uh, task force, I believe, this upcoming summer. Reparations are just one way that leaders can probe and, and interrogate how slavery informs the ways that systemic racism manifests itself, not only in their cities, counties, and states, but across the country. So what are some of the other ways that people are pushing or advocating for more conversation around addressing, and as you say, not just acknowledging slavery, but taking it a step, taking it a step further? Absolutely. You know, I think that uh, what I've learned from taking a look at all of these bodies across the country that are tasked with looking at this, I think that they've all acknowledged that, that they're having to look at racism across systems, right? So we're talking about everything from from education to equal pay to housing. I mean, here in the city of St. Louis, um, I believe sometime last year we had uh, a major realtor group release a letter essentially acknowledging that the real estate system in this city made it harder for black people to buy purchase homes, right? And so, so these things matter. These are we're, we're talking about injustices that. Um, don't just exist in one space, but across several spaces. And so, um, as you say, right, when we're talking about what these commissions will be doing, they'll, they'll have to look at a, a lot of different things. Um, and as you said, I mean, you know, one of the biggest things that I've heard from community members specifically is that they, they, they want it to be bigger than a comp, just conversation, right? That, that there are some action items behind words. And so, um, you know, I think that it, it is going to be a very multi-layered, uh, you know, uh, multifaceted conversation, but one needed nonetheless. Gabby, our community correspondent in St. Louis, Missouri, thank you so much for your on-the-ground reporting and giving us a lay of the land on this conversation about reparations. It's not only local, but national, and as as to, sur to summarize it, it's a marathon, not a sprint, so we look forward to hearing more of your reporting. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm Nicole Ellis. It's a promise made now coming to fruition during Mayor Jones, Tashara Jones' campaign. She went to bat for the black community, standing on the need for reparations citywide. And tonight she is forming a reparations commission. News Force Jenna Ray breaks down what this means and what some want, which is not necessarily money. At the turn of the 20th century, St. Louis City was thriving. It's the 1950s where historians point to change as middle-class families moved to the suburbs, leaving poor families within the city, many of them black, forcing a colorful divide, many of us know as Del Mar Boulevard. There are some conditions in the past that are still today impacting uh, those people's uh, ability to uh, live, a part, live the American dream. The city's NAACP president, Adolphus Pruitt, born and raised in the Lou, has seen the Delmar divide his whole life. Pleasantly surprised, Pruitt says he's hopeful a reparation commission could change this. Providing the means to have some real discussions about, you know, how do we, matter of fact, how do we get rid of the vestiges of, of racial uh, injustice and, and things of that nature? You know, what are they? And, and if they still exist, how do we eliminate them, period? The mayor's proposal creates at least a nine-person board of city residents of all backgrounds. Anyone can apply. The board is set to include civil rights advocates, 
attorneys, clergy, academics, public health, youth, and community members. Reparations is not a, a one-size-fits-all. Uh, there are many different uh, iterations that it can take, and this commission will just be providing uh, possible avenues that the city and the Board of Aldermen can look at. Vernon Mitchell Jr. with the city says there's no funding set aside at the moment for this committee. He did say RAM settlement and federal COVID dollars are off the table. Some say it's not money that's wanted. I think my very first impetus would be on addressing the deficit in education. You know, I think that that, that our deficit in education is the leading cause uh, to uh, all of our socioeconomic issues, poverty, crime. Socioeconomic issues that stem beyond the city. And Pruitt says it's something he'd like to see county leaders dive into also. In St. Louis, Jenna Ray, News 4.
December. We're going to talk to you very briefly about our plan and timeline for the next year that we're going to be together. Then we're going to open up uh, the conversation to you all to hear from you about your legislatures across this country actively erase the history of black people um, and the struggle of our communities since, um, since this country was founded. Stations and these meetings will serve both as a place of um, learning and collaboration so that we can build a, a report and recommendation that will actually move our city you all for being here. Um, again, I'm Kayla Reed, and I will pass it to uh, the commission to introduce themselves. Uh, good, good afternoon. It certainly is my pleasure to welcome you all. Uh, really looking forward to your feedback on this. I'm Dr. Will Ross. Uh, I serve as the vice chair of the commission. In my day job, I'm a professor at the Washington University School of Medicine and, and associate dean for diversity and a principal officer for community partnerships. So I engage a lot in our our university and our public health uh, and community engagement efforts. So thank you for being here. Hello, everyone. I'm William Foster. Um, I'm a resident of the city, and I work as an external auditor serving on the commission on my own behalf. Thank you. Good evening and welcome. My name is Gwen Moore. I'm a curator at the Missouri Historical Society, and my area of research is the black experience, the local black experience in the region. Good evening. I'm Reverend Kevin D. Anthony, and I currently serve with the Ecumenical Leadership Council of St. Louis, and uh, my purpose for uh, serving uh, with the uh, commission because I do think that there's something to be said when people's lives have been disrupted, that they can find healing and justice beyond the trauma that they have experienced. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Kimberly Franks. I am a lawyer, and during my daytime job, I am a business owner, a local business owner, and I look forward to hearing all of you all's comments and being part of this community-driven process. Hi, everyone. My name is Jada Brooks. I am a youth ministry leader. Um, I am also a mental health advocate and a youth advocate, and I also attend the illustrious Harrisville State University as a communication student. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is David Cunningham. I'm a professor and chair of sociology at, the, at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, I, I do research that focuses on histories and legacies of racialized violence, and in particular, restorative justice efforts towards repair, and really, really pleased to be able to be doing that in our, our home of St. Louis. Good evening, my name is Delisha George. I am serving as the secretary for the commission and I am in my day job, program manager for the Deaconess Foundation. And thank you all for joining us this evening. 
briefly share with you the executive order, the charge of this commission, the charge to you as uh, citizens of St. Louis to really hold us accountable. Uh, and I don't want to read this. Essentially, this is uh, just historic time. Uh, it is an acknowledgment of the historic wrongs uh, that have been, uh, unfortunately, thrust upon the African-American community for decades, if not centuries. And this is an opportunity to really talk about social justice and restorative justice, uh, to review those wrongs uh, in the context of slavery, Jim Crow, and some of the other unfortunate policies that have relegated African-Americans uh, to living in communities that have been disadvantaged, underserved, and creating, uh, unfortunately, and the inability of some members of our community to uh, not reach their full potential. This is an opportunity uh, through this uh, uh, executive order to really bring this to life, uh, to hear from you about the injustices that you personally witnessed, or your family, or your, or your historic family, uh, to really have us uh, collate all of these stories, compile these stories, and to, uh, at the end of this, really uh, condense this into a report which will be provided to the mayor, to the board of aldermen, for action. We don't know what's going to be in that final report. It's going to depend on you. Uh, but we really do appreciate uh, a candor, openness, and transparency in this process as we come to this uh, historic moment for St. Louis. So thank you for being here and being part of it. Um, just also want to say that you know one one paragraph. Um, we are mandated to study the history of race-based harms in the city, um, and the, it does require us to meet monthly. So we will see each month. Um, and the reparations order again is, is number 75. The entire uh, memo can be found on the city's website. So we wanted to talk a little bit about um, our plan over the next 12 months. This is our first meeting. We have 11 more to go um, and a lot of work to do in between those meetings. So one, just want to acknowledge um, the labor and time of this volunteer commission that we're going to spend together. We're already very close. We talk most days and we'll continue to do so. But it's not just going to be the nine of us that are convening. Um, we are going to be building out structures to make sure that the community can participate in the process um, over the next year. So we have, um, we have, um, um, so we have just a few um, points that we wanted to lay out around the four phase, uh, the three phases that we've sort of organized our thinking around the next 12 months. Um, phase one is the phase that we're currently in, we're calling it community engagement and co-learning. So we're going to spend a lot of time listening to the public. We encourage you um, to tell your family, your friends, your networks about these meetings because those public comments are going to help us sort of take the area focuses the report um, will we'll delve into. So we're going to experience some deep listening from community members, presentations from local and national experts. That will start in meeting two. So we'll have both local folks, some folks maybe on the commission, um, and in our city and some national who've actually studied St. Louis come in and talk about different areas um, that we are thinking through around reparations 
And then we're also going to begin to develop our working groups around those area focuses. In phase two, we're sort of calling that analysis and recommendations. So we have to develop a report and recommendations. We're not going to try to write that in February of next year. We've got to start that process right away. So phase two, we're going to sort of bring those analyses together, recommendations together to identify the themes, um, develop the report framework, and the working groups that were developed in phase one will begin to meet um, to develop those, that report and those recommendations. And then the third phase, which you cannot see, but it's there, is summary. So we want to have a draft of the report um, to actually spend multiple meetings in feedback um, and active listening around the report before it is finalized and submitted um, to the mayor and the board of aldermen um, with this recommendation. So those are sort of the three sections we're hoping to do um, and lead you out through all of them. Um, and you know, at any point in your public comments, you can give us feedback on that. I skipped a portion of the agenda that I wanted to make sure we go back to um, before we go to public comment. So um, Commission Member Jada Brooks is going to come and read uh, the letter that we sent you, that we um, provided for you today. Dear St. Louis, on March 10, 2023, Mayor Tashara O. Jones appointed members of the St. Louis First Reparations Commission established to execute the executive order on reparations that was established on December 2022. The executive order embraces the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America definition of reparations as a process of repairing, healing, in restoring a people injured because of their group identity and in violation of their fundamental human rights by governors, corporations, institutions, and families. As the appointed volunteer commission, we are charged with assessing history of slavery, segregation, and other race-based harms in the city of St. Louis, exploring the present-day manifestations of history, and ultimately, recommending a proposal to begin repairing the harms that have been inflicted on Black St. Louisans and the descendants of enslaved people. The community-driven process is modeled after the Ferguson Commission, which showed us how an experiment in inclusive democracy functions. Consequently, the Commission should endeavor to model its engagement in public conversation similarly. The commission consists of nine members. Each of us live in the city of St. Louis and represent different backgrounds, including civil rights advocates, clerks, clergy members, attorneys, academics, public health professionals, and youth. We recognize that reparations raise a wide range of difficult and challenging questions that can only be answered through a robust public dialogue. We are not structured to simply write and deliver recommendations, but rather to solicit input and recommendations for the public and from experts, then release a draft recommendation or public commitment before finalizing its recommendations to the mayor and the board of aldermen. This process is designed to be a robust, transparent, community-engaged, and in the spirit 
in the spirit of restorative justice. In accordance with the executive order, the Reparations Commission shall hold our first public meeting on April 24, 2023. During this first meeting, we hope to focus on defining reparations, laying out the expectations of the executive order, rolling out the overview of the phases, and providing a space for community visioning for the commission and recommendations. We want to make clear our intention is to serve our community. We are ready to work together and to listen to other residents' concerns and questions while also taking in information from experts in several fields related to our charge. Our goal is to be of use to the city of St. Louis as serving leaders in the best sense possible, listening, studying, and developing solutions to the harms that have been long plagued that have long plagued our community, our city, and some of its residents. Those recommendations can be shared publicly before final recommendations and are submitted to the Board of Aldermen and Mayor's Office. We will invite public feedback. We will approach our work not simply as policy entrepreneurs, but as facilitators responsible for guiding a process designed to make designed to include a wide range of perspectives and experiences into transformation. We are excited to launch this process and we look forward to a year of learning together towards, towards transforming St. Louis. Thank you. And good evening to you. We've come to uh, the, the moment that we have gathered here this evening, and that is to hear from you, the public, those of you who are uh, extremely interested in this work that the uh, commissioners are set forth uh, to do. But before we uh, begin uh, that work, uh, we have a few uh, guidelines that we want you to follow. The first one, <laughs> the first one uh, is each speaker will have two minutes uh, to share with the commission. And we ask that everyone please uh, uh, follow and respect this uh, time limit. And what will happen is as you come and give your comments or questions to uh, the commission, uh, at the end of your two minutes, when it has expired, you will see me raise this red piece of paper here, noting that your uh, time has expired. When you come, please state your name, neighborhood, and any organization uh, after providing public comment. The commission will record any questions from the public, but we will not answer questions at this meeting. There will be additional opportunities for the public to comment uh, with the commission and have other conversations, but, and written comments can be submitted on the city's website. So we ask that at this time, for those of you who uh, desire to ask questions, have comments, 
come here to the mic. My name is Josephine Perkins, but to that political arena, I'm known as Joe Perk. I and a few more, I would like to um, recognize Mr. Eugene Fleischman. Mr. Eugene Fleischman started out having reparation meetings since 1985. We were doing it at Newstead and Lee. For many years, he uh, did... Um, had those meetings and he trained us. Susie Parker Mayberry, the daughter of Judge Mayberry, she and I started out together. We later learned, we later went to Walton and Magnolia, which is the Jolly Seven Social Club, and that's located on uh, right at the Hodema Track. And I like to recognize, have their names recognized, Mr. Eugene Fryson, uh, Pike. Zaki Baruti, um, uh, Mr. Maurice, um, Susie Parker. These are some of the people that are diligently fought for reparation. And I'm so glad it took them many years. We got a long way to go, mm -hmm. but we're going to have reparation. I went to Washington, D.C. to say, if you won't reparate, compensate. I accused America of modern-day slavery. I accused America and also went to Lansing, state capital. That is our sister state. Any complaints, anything you need heard and said, that's where you go. I went to up on Capitol Hill, stayed on that lawn for two days to get lead compensation around the country. When I hear what one can't do, Excuse my French, damn lie. We can. I am so proud of the fact that this panel is sitting here. I will be at all your meetings. I'm going to dissect everything done and said. We want reparation in this country. 
We deserve it. The Japanese lost their brain. You reparate it. The Jews that had the Holocaust. You reparate it. Will modern day slavery still exist? Old North St. Louis is a proven fact. I started out as a 14-year-old fighting with rank and trade and all those students that were not of America. Okay? Now, here's our chance. Let's rock it. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, y'all, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, my name is Kennard Williams. I am the organizing manager at Action St. Louis. Uh, we're a racial justice organization, as many of you may know. We do a number of campaigns, including abolition, housing justice, and electoral justice. Uh, I wanted to speak tonight to the commission. Uh, I want to speak tonight to the commission and make sure that housing is not left out of the conversation. Um, historically in St. Louis, uh, black people on both the north and the west side have been impacted by systemic racism, gentrification at one point, and then even now we are dealing with the housing crisis. Um, historically, we've seen us impacted by systemic racism and redlining and that has stopped us from being able to build equity and be able to get property and develop our neighborhoods as we wanted. And now, uh, with the way evictions has disproportionately impacted black people, particularly black women, black people are still left without the ability to access property, access safe and affordable housing options. And we're left under-resourced and in underdeveloped areas when historically we, we've continued to have to fight or just the scraps. And I hope that the commission sees this as an opportunity to right a lot of wrongs and actually help us build where we had things. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Marvina Halton, and I'm here representing the ADOS Advocacy Foundation. Um, we are a national grassroots reparations group, and we advocate for reparations and a transformative black agenda for those of us who descended from channel slavery in America. Um, you guys can look us up. We have a website with a black agenda on there. Hopefully, you guys will find some things on there that will help you in your push in regards to what you're doing. That is going to be ADOSfoundation.org. Um, please look us up. The founder of our group is Beth Carnell, and she's also willing to for you guys in whatever capacity that we need. So we're here. I do live here in the St. Louis area now, and we are launching chapters all over the United States.
question is some type of revelation or conversation for the black business to delegate that collaboration to people in St. Louis. Me, myself, I was a contractor at NSD for 20 years. Carol uh, Ross had somebody that ended up successfully suing uh, in two lawsuits. But uh, we have an issue here where minority contractors aren't really minority contractors. You may have one black with a whole gang of white folks or non-blacks behind him. So we're losing billions of dollars in our community. And I know you guys are out here to see what I'm talking about. When you drive back and you don't see nobody that looks like us working on these projects. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's one thing that we need to change back the way it used to be. Our, our president, I can't think of that, Brian Fosher, they had a program for black contractors when we first came in, I first came in in 98, while working third ship at home as a collection technician. But they had contracts for $25,000 an hour. This helps black contractors come in. You learn, you learn how to estimate, you learn how to be. That way when you get to the bigger contracts, like I was blessed enough to work with Clayco and build the sewers at the baseball stadium. Three years out of the airport. Blessed enough to get that. But it all started with the 25 nothing. Your guys come in, they learn to grow. You got one man hope. Once they realize they can't they matter, that they can lay well, we need one. We can do 10 in a series. You know, it just grows. And we start at the 25 nothing. But they eliminated that. And they directly eliminated that due to the way that I speak. You know, I'm a minority contractor, and my employees reflect my minority status. It's not a lot of people that can say that. You'll see a lot of minority contractors around here, but they're not really minority. There's another thing that we need to do to stop. Okay, now we have this thing where you have to be 51% of your company in order for it to be established as minority. I'm 100% owned, but I still get the same status as someone that's 51% and their other half is 49%. They're killing us with this. You should not be allowed to be the same with me as 100% and someone else with 51% because your company's not even 100% uh, my own. We need to change that status. If you're 51%, and, you, and your uh, partner is 49%, then that needs to be reflected in these contracts because they are killing us like this. They are killing us like this. And uh, we need to do something about that because, like I said, I can repeat it over and over, they are killing us with this. They go out, one company, started with taking the dump truck driver, making him the president of the company, and for a long time, he was the only black face in the company other than the secretary. Um, you also guys need to get a handle on these unions. You got guys coming in that work legally an hour, two hours out.
because you want to save the fuel, which is carbon burning, and this and that, they steal. Everything is green. The material is green. The equipment is green. <laughs> but the employees are not green. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. My name is Robert Crowley. I'm the founder and executive director of the Descendants of the St. Louis University. We can do better than that. Good evening. Good evening. All right, all right, good. My name is Vernon Mitchell, Jr. I am the Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer for the City of St. Louis. I welcome you here on behalf of the City of St. Louis and our Mayor, Tashara O. Jones. This is the second uh, public meeting for the Reparations Commission uh, for the City of St. Louis. Um, I am here as a liaison between the city, the mayor's office, and the commission itself. Uh, the commission will get ready to get started today, and we'll, we'll be um, starting with Dr. Will Ross, uh, the vice chair for the commission. Thank you all for your time, and is there any other housekeeping things that we need to discuss? I think we're all set. All right, so thank you for your time, and uh, Dr. Ross will be coming to you now. Mitchell, and welcome to the second forum. It's great to see you here. We had a very uh, uh, productive meeting uh, last month, and I think this will be equally uh, productive. Uh, we want all of you to uh, thirst for talking. We, we want to hear, we want feedback. This is an opportunity for you all to give that feedback as we respond to this mandate to explore the history of race-based uh, trauma in St. Louis. And hopefully provide a, a framework for uh, distributive justice in this region. Uh, again, we had a really robust, highly informed, highly engaged uh, discussion last month. Let me give you a, kind of a synopsis of what transpired uh, uh, during that session last month. Uh, we were told to acknowledge and respect the history of those organizations that began uh, years earlier before this commission was, uh, was uh, established. Uh, we do respect that history. Uh, there are many of, of you, perhaps still here this evening, who've been involved in this work. We want to hear from you. Uh, we want you, of course, to uh, be a, uh, a path, uh, kind of a north star for what we're doing. So thank you for being here, for those who've done this work before. We heard from small, small business leaders who advocated for stronger support for their establishments. Uh, we certainly heard that. Uh, we respond, and we'll respond accordingly. Uh, here's an interesting one, which I absolutely uh, uh, embrace. We're asked to refrain from casting North St. Louis as a wasteland of underdevelopment uh, as we have this discussion about how do we uh, distribute resources according to a need. Uh, there are areas in North St. Louis that are thriving. Uh, they have certainly thri they are thriving despite, despite the fact that they've had to overcome uh, economic barriers, and we, we, we recognize that also. Uh, and then we were asked to really reflect and, uh, and speak boldly about the decades of disinvestment uh, throughout the region, not just in North St. Louis. Uh, and that has already begun, and we're going to have in the, in the upcoming months a series of speakers who will talk about that even more. We have experts in our own panel uh, 
we'll be talking about that disinvestment. So we're going to learn a lot more from that. So we heard from them last month, and we look forward to hearing from you as we begin uh, this second forum. So as before we start, uh, I want to uh, have our commission members introduce themselves, and we'll start uh, from my uh, left and go on. My name is Gwen Moore. I'm a curator at uh, the Missouri Historical Society, uh, where I research local African-American history. I have a particular interest in social movements. Hello, everyone. I'm Will Foster. Um, I'm a resident of St. Louis, and I work as an um, external auditor. Um, I guess just reflecting on our first meeting, uh, thank you all for your feedback um, and comments. Uh, we, I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say um, and incorporate those into our further discussions. I'm Reverend uh, Kevin D. Anthony, and I currently serve uh, as a supply pastor in the United Church of Christ uh, here uh, serving uh, on behalf of the Ecumenical Leadership Council of St. Louis. And uh, I, too, want to uh, thank you for coming out to the first meeting and uh, sharing your thoughts and reflections. Uh, I'm uh, specifically uh, here to uh, see uh, where the uh, church's role is in terms of uh, finding uh, places of healing as it relates to uh, reparations and what uh, the church can do to be significant in developing uh, those recommendations. Hello, my name is David Cunningham. I'm a professor and chair of sociology at Washington University. Um, like my fellow commissioners, I really thank you all for being here tonight. I, I think uh, by far the most important aspect of our work is the ability uh, to, to really listen to what you bring uh, around this process, and that's going to inform everything that we do as well. So we very much appreciate your investment with that um, and really, really look forward to uh, awaiting what, what you have to offer tonight. Hey, everybody. My name is Jada Brooks, and I attend the illustrious Harrisville State University. Um, I'm a communication student, and I am here on behalf of the youth. I'm a youth advocate. I work with a lot of nonprofits. Um, yes, and I'm happy that you guys are here. We are more than happy to listen to you guys and hear you guys' voices and your concerns. Um, I'm born and raised in St. Louis. I grew up in Ferguson. Um, yeah, I've experienced a lot, um, and I'm here to continue to learn about the experiences that you guys have, have had. So thank you for being here. Good evening, everyone. I am Delisha George. Um, I am a city native and very proud of St. Louis and, and looking forward to what we um, bring forth with our recommendations upon your um, feedback and, and your experiences. And really, thank you for sharing with us and being very transparent with us. Um, I am also program manager at the Deaconess Foundation. So community is, is very much at the heart of what I am doing and, and trust and believe we are here to listen and take what you are sharing with us forward. Thank you. 
Thank you. Uh, I, I failed to introduce myself. I'm Dr. Will Ross. I'm the Associate Dean, Professor of Medicine at Washington University School of Medicine, and I've been involved in uh, public health uh, and issues of social justice, particularly from the standpoint of, of uh, health uh, equity for over the past three decades. And so it's uh, certainly is, is something I'm really looking forward to having this broader discussion about how do we keep our region, our city healthier. Uh, uh, we have two members who are not here today, including uh, Kayla Reed, who's actually a chair of the commission. Kayla Reed is a uh, executive director of Action St. Louis, a uh, remarkable uh, young uh, woman, uh, an activist that many of you are probably quite familiar with. And we also have uh, uh, Kimberly uh, Franks, who's a local attorney and activist, um, uh, will uh, certainly send their regards uh, for the meeting. So with that, then said, I want to uh, turn it over to uh, Dallas J. George, who will over give us an overview of the executive order, the mandate, and then we'll follow with the program afterwards. Good evening again. On December 7th, 2022, Mayor Tashara Jones signed Executive Order 75, which established the City of St. Louis Reparations Commission. The executive order on reparations reads in part, establishing a community-driven commission to assess the history of slavery, segregation, and other race-based harms in the city of St. Louis, explore the present-day manifestations of that history, and ultimately recommend a proposal to begin repairing the harms that have been inflicted. The Reparation Commission's mandate shall be to explore the history of race-based harms in the city, reveal the present-day manifestations of that history, and ultimately propose a method of potential funding resources for directly repairing the harms that have been inflicted. The commission shall explore not just the socioeconomic and political evidence, but also engage the moral, legal, and historical evidence for various claims to reparations and redistributive justice. Thank you. Good evening once again. Um, as all of us noted in our introductions, um, the, our primary aim is really to be able to hear from you and be able to get as much feedback as possible and to learn about your experiences and to use that to inform the work that we do. And our primary vehicle for that is the sort of meeting that we're having right now. So monthly, we will be continuing to hold these public meetings through the summer. Um, and I think we will have a slide up here that will list all everything I say right now up in, in back of us. But um, our aim with these meetings as we schedule them is to think about accessibility and to make sure as many people are able to attend as possible. And so our next meeting, which is on uh, June 24th at uh, you see it here. Um, sorry, it'll be, it will be up here, but our next meeting is June 24th. It's at, from noon to 2 o'clock, and that's because it, it'll be on a Saturday. And so both our June and our August meetings are going to be on the weekend on Saturday earlier in the day. 
Um, and our July meeting will kind of revert back to where we are now. We'll, we'll meet in the evening. It'll be on a Wednesday rather than a Monday. So we're trying to move our, both the, the day and the time of day of our meetings, not to be confusing, but really to uh, really um, be sensitive to people's work schedules, other constraints that make it really difficult for them to come out maybe on a, on a weeknight versus a weekend day. And so we'll, we'll change the times of our meetings we also have an aim to change the location of our meetings. So some of you were here last month. We met in this room at Harris Stowe, um, but our next two meetings in June and July will be at New Northside Community Center. So we're gonna be moving to North City for the next two meetings. Our aim after that is to also incorporate a South City location in terms of our meeting place. And so, you know, again, we wanna make sure both in terms of when the meetings are and where the meetings are, that as many people will be able to attend at least some of the meetings as possible. We also would ask you if there are things we are not thinking about when we're thinking about accessibility in this way, please let us know. We really were able, especially as we move through the summer into the fall, um, we certainly have space to incorporate suggestions about how we should hold these meetings in terms of when and where. Um, so please do let us know if anything would be helpful along those lines. Um, and the other thing that I'll note, starting next month, we are going to be inviting outside experts to come in and speak for part of these meetings. And the aim of that, again, is to make sure that we can as thoroughly as possible engage the sorts of issues that you all are bringing to the table. So the people that we will be inviting over the next three months and beyond are in direct response to the kinds of issues that you all are raising here. Um, so you'll be able to hear people in later meetings address in a comprehensive sense um, the sorts of questions that you raise, the sorts of issues that you raise, so that we can think about how to address those in our recommendations as effectively as possible. So again, we really hope to see you all again um, in some or all of our upcoming meetings, and just let us know if there are things that we can do as we move forward with those meetings to make them more accessible to you all. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry, okay, so this is up now. Yeah, so the, it, that should be July the 26th. So everything's accurate other than the month there. Um, and again, the, the 26th of July is a Wednesday evening. Yeah. Uh, I believe so, Dr. Mitchell, yeah. So yes, it will be. So it's, everything should be on the city's website. Um, I should also say, as we think about the city's website, alongside our summer schedule with these public meetings, our commission does meet in between meetings to plan our meetings and to think about the issues that we've heard during the last meeting and then move forward. Um, when we do have those meetings, those are public as well. Those are virtual meetings, so they're not meetings where we have a location. But when we do have those meetings in between our public meetings, uh, there will be a week's notice where the Zoom uh, link will be up on the city's website as well, and so people can patch in that way as well and weigh in um, outside of the uh, larger public meetings that we'll have monthly that are on the slide behind me. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, will they will be you want to? The minutes will be posted on the website as well. Good. Thank you for that. Yes. Um, 
So we'll have Vernon Mitchell uh, address that issue. That's a good question. Thank you for raising it. Um, there, there will be a website for the commission that will be posted. Um, uh, a little louder, Vernon. There, there will be a website for the commission that will be posted through the city's website. It will have all of our minutes. It will have uh, connections to the live stream that you see and participated in now. Um, but we're always welcome to hear other um, ways that we can make this more uh, productive and communication to be more uh, fluid with the community. Thank you. Any other questions for Professor Cunningham? Great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. And oh, sure. Yes, the press uh, has been actively involved. At the last meeting, we had uh, pretty much all of the uh, major news outlets uh, here, uh, including. Um, um, well, ever since, since all the news outlets were, were here, uh, we had extensive coverage um, on the news, uh, the 10 o'clock news, and the following day, post-dispatch. So uh, they, we had, um, I think, very good coverage, and I, I suspect that will continue. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now, to kick this off, we're going to have Dr. Reverend uh, Kevin Anthony uh, guide us through this, and then we'll begin our, our discussion with you, our questions, rather, with you. Again, good evening. Uh, we've come to the point in which uh, I'm sure you are here for this evening, uh, our moment of uh, public uh, comment. Uh, there are a few uh, things we need to uh, address before we get into that segment of the evening. Uh, you will note here, if you can see that, that each speaker will have two minutes to share with the commission their questions and you will have, uh, again, two minutes to do so. We ask that everyone please respect uh, the time limit because we want to make sure that we get in as many uh, comments or those who desire to uh, share their reflections uh, this evening. Uh, we ask that when you come to the mic that you, uh, oh, one note, uh, when your two minutes is up, you'll see me hold this red card up and uh, that will signal to you that your two minutes uh, has expired. Uh, we ask that you state your name, neighborhood, and uh, any organization that uh, you are affiliated with uh, before uh, providing your comment. Uh, and uh, the commission uh, will record any questions uh, from the public, uh, but we will not respond to those questions. We're gathering data uh, so that we can do our research and get that information uh, back to you. Um, uh, there will be uh, additional opportunity for public comments. You are welcome to also go to our uh, website or uh, posting on uh, the city's website and uh, provide comments and thoughts and reflections there. Uh, so at this time, we will uh, move toward uh, public comment. Uh, you may uh, come to the mic at this time.
first off, who is the chair of the uh, committee? The chair of the committee is the chair of the committee is Kayla Reed. Uh, she's uh, Who's not, the vice chair? Uh, she's absent this meeting. Uh, I'm the vice chair. I, know it's in the meeting. I have my comments uh, for you. Okay. I am from South St. Louis. Uh, I'm with the St. Louis Offels Number Five and the 27th Masonic District uh, AF of AF. My name is John Bear. I am uh, from South St. Louis. I'm with the 27th Masonic District of Freemasonry and also with I thank the esteemed commission uh, for doing this. I, on your website that I got from the mayor's office, your mission statement was to develop and implement reparations for black I got some news for you. Slavery still exists in St. Louis. Uh, through the gangs and drug dealers and human trafficking. Uh, children are being killed in our streets, intimidation and threat of violence to the people in our, in our city. There is a, a natural law, a divine law, that obliges you and me to relieve the suffering and the distress and destitute in our society. Given that slavery still exists in our nation, human indentured servitude, corporate enslavement, and corporate corruption, worker oppression, and staggering wealth inequality, this is a moral sin against humanity. Um, Jesus Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver when we have, when we have reparations <laughs> money. So 30 pieces of silver over life of a child being killed in our streets. Judas Iscariot did it and um, he, to enrich himself, and we're facing what Judas uh, face now with our children dying on our streets and our neighborhoods and gangs and drug dealers and human trafficking taking over. Uh, Pastor Anthony, I know you probably would agree with me since I come from the same church you do, United Church of Christ. And Professor Ross and Professor Cunningham, I know you probably would agree with me too since I got educated at Washington University. Corporate enslavement continues through ADM, Cargill, Tyson Meats, bringing Mexicans across the border, uh, backfilling good-paying jobs in meatpacking plants, and making these people stay in slave labor housing at these areas. Uh, Mexican workers are usually paid, uh, underpaid. Uh, they work 12, 14 hours and seven days a week. Uh, indentured servitude needs to be stopped. So uh, I please ask you to read my comments, and uh, my name and address is on the back, and please write me an answer, and I thank you. Thank you so much. I was, I was not going to speak, but I was kind of motivated by the gentleman before me because personally I think he's at the wrong meeting. If we're talking reparations, I'm a third generation of someone who was harmfully affected by reparations. My great-grandmother lived in pruitt Igo. She moved here from Mississippi. And she was involved in activism at a time when St. Louis was redlining. Um, there was a couple 
Yeah, I'm getting to that. <laughs> Thank you. I heard the echoes. It's still doing that. Yeah, I know. But uh, we're talking three generations when, in, when I learned about it. Uh, I have a photo of her sitting in City Hall with a couple that successfully sued a large contractor in St. Louis because they discriminated. They were going to sell the house to his wife, who was white, but the gentleman was black, and they reneged on that contract. So we're not talking about slavery by corporations here. We're talking about gerrymanding that affects black people still. They've changed the lines in St. Louis. When I was growing up, the zoo was not on the West End of St. Louis. It was not called West. So they've changed the lines of St. Louis. And I'm interested in knowing when is it going to stop because that's keeping us uh, impoverished and pointed out. Hello, uh, esteemed commission. Uh, my name's Clarence Graham. I, I used to work as a black gardener over in the Central West End, but well, slowly but surely, they've been bringing in illegal immigrants to uh, displace us, and not a word's been said. But uh, here's my question when looking at reparations in St. Louis. Uh, I make videos and stuff, and I look at the uh, mansions over on Forest Park where Steve Roberts and them live at, and I look at different, you know, situations like that, and I'm like, when can we, like, go to, well, number one, who are the economists on this panel and who are the attorneys on this panel that can say, okay, this is what Corporation A in St. Louis, B, C through Z, this is what these corporations owe, who are the economists who examine their uh, ledger sheets, and then who are the attorneys that can go after these uh, large corporations that have been built up here in the St. Louis area by uh, slave labor. Because now you can go over on Forest Park, where Steve Roberts lived right there at Forest Park and Kings Highway, based on a video that I made on my Twitter account at C-L-A-R-E-N-C-E-G-R-A-H-A-M, number letter two. And still, you will see no black subcontractors, no black anything over there maintaining the Roberts property or any property over there along the Forest Park uh, that, that were, the, were the mansions today. Those that are priced between, what, 750 grand and 2 million, but you see none of us over there. And my question is, who is the economist on here and who are the attorneys that we can just go directly to them and say, here, buddy, you know our grandparents, our ancestors built these corporations, built your mansions for free, because now if you go over there, it looks like something like out of a nuisance property on the north side. So who are the economists to study their books and who are the attorneys that we can sue them instead of having these uh, reparations meetings where, I mean, I see no local news affiliates here. I see no black journalists here. And what makes this criminal is that not, what, three months ago, they had four black teenagers drive their car over the uh, Forest Park Parkway overpass, and you cannot get a Tashara Jones, a Cori Bush, uh, or any black political business or clergy member to even dare to want to speak about this. 
And meanwhile, we've had white engineers tell us that just to tear out that overpass, it ain't number 20 to $40 million. But meanwhile, you've got a Travis Ford over at St. Louis University with the Billigans. He's all up in arms with Demetrius Johnson Foundation before Mr. Johnson mysteriously died. But now that it's time to talk about these four black teenagers, he's missing in action. But back to the larger issue, who the that way we can go after these people instead of sitting here having useless meetings. Wait a minute, there are no economists on this commission? Wow. But thanks for listening. Thank you. Hello, how you doing? My name is Michael Gregory. I'm a resident of St. Louis my whole life, 40 years old. I um, hail from Ferguson, Missouri. I'm a descendant of Houston, Ellison, Simon Houston, Ellis. Slaves that are born on a plantation in North Carolina. Could you and speak up a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I'm sorry. My name is Michael Gregory. I hail from Ferguson, Missouri. I'm 45 years old. I'm a descendant of Simon Ellis and Sylvia Houston Ellis. Slaves that are born on a plantation in North Carolina that, that moved to Mississippi and eventually came to St. Louis in my, second, uh, my current generation. So I was born and raised here. I have prepared a statement. I represent um, OFFER, which is Ohioans for Federal Reparations. I'm a board member of that organization. It's a 501c4. And can you speak closer to the microphone? Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hold on one second. I had a prepared statement. Cash payments must be prioritized in reparations for several crucial reasons. First and foremost, cash provides immediate and tangible relief to black Americans who have endured generations of systematic oppression and racial injustice. It acknowledges the economic impacts of slavery and systematic racism, allowing individuals to have agency in how they utilize funds to address their specific needs and aspirations. Secondly, cash payments serve as a symbolic recognition of the debt owed to black Americans. Monetary compensation is a direct acknowledgement of the unpaid labor, exploitation, and trauma inflicted upon enslaved individuals and their descendants. It signifies a commitment to rectify past wrongs and provide a sense of justice and restitution for the enduring socioeconomic disparities that persist, persist today. Furthermore, cash payments have the advantage of flexibility they can be utilized according to individual needs and circumstances of recipients, whether it's to address educational expenses, improve living conditions, start a business, or invest in community development. Cash reparations grant agency and autonomy to black Americans to decide how best to utilize the funds for their own advancement. In conclusion, prioritizing cash payments in reparations is a necessary step to rectify the historical and ongoing economic injustices faced by black Americans. It is not only acknowledgement that the immense harm caused by slavery and systematic racism, but also provides an opportunity to address the wealth gap, empower individuals, and foster great, greater economic equity. Thank you. Excuse me, I would ask, uh, gentlemen, uh, can you provide that statement directly to the commission? Thank you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, how do you, I have a media outlet that I could give you, that I have a Twitter account, how did you want me to give you that um, statement? Okay, email to the Okay, great, thank you. 
Hello. Hello. My name is Sharita Franklin, and I am from North St. Louis, and I am representing the Scholarship Foundation of St. Louis. I am a nursing policy fellow there. So I'm a student at St. Louis Community College, Flow Valley, and I also serve as a policy fellow with the Scholarship Foundation of St. Louis, located I'm in the city. closer to the mic again. Sorry. Located in the city of St. Louis. My research is focused on health policy and how it intersects with the well-being of current and future college students. I decided to pursue nursing for two reasons. I want to make a change in health care and be a compassionate source for people who are overlooked. I'm here today to testify about black St. Louis residents receiving reparations from the atrocities and the effects of chattel slavery. Descendants of slaves helped build this city, but were never compensated, especially for the unjust practices inflicted on the black community. Quoting the words of our mayor, Tashara Jones, we cannot succeed as a city if one half is allowed to fail. If we are to move forward and address the harms of slavery and inequality, we must start with reparations. As a nursing student, something that is near and dear to my heart is the black maternal mortality rate, which has increased over the past few years. Black Americans already have a mistrust of the healthcare system due to exploitation and abuse. History shows us this, the Tuskegee syphilis study and the unauthorized use of the HeLa cells. Scientific and medical racism has led to a belief that black people have a higher pain tolerance and therefore need less pain medication, which leads to chronic pain while undermedicated. Every, every single body deserves fair medical care and equality. The blatant disregard of the worth of black bodies explains why black mothers are perishing at a much higher rate. I believe and know that we deserve reparations from the unjust housing practices to urban renewal to inadequate and underfinanced education. We have been displaced and replaced. The effects of slavery have trickled down even at this very moment where I have to navigate this world differently due to the anti-blackness that is unfortunately spreading worldwide. My skin causes some to cower in fear and stereotypes have been set upon me such that some view me as vicious. Assumptions, stereotypes, and anti-blackness have affected me greatly from slavery to today. In conclusion, the black residents of the city of St. Louis deserve reparations it will never atone for the wickedness and brutality that my ancestors went through and my family and I still experience. But it is a step in the right direction. I want to thank the committee for reading and hearing my testimony. Your consideration of these matters and solutions are very much appreciated. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Alvonia Creighton, and I'm with the Ados Advocacy Foundation. And my concerns is around the lack of specificity. When you look at the media, even Mayor Jones's statement, it's speaking about a race-based reparations, which this is not. This is lineage-based, and it's anchored in slavery. We do share uh, common experiences, lived experiences with other black people. Black, black American, and African American are all inclusive terms. And when you use those terms, you can be implying blacks from Africa, blacks from South America, or even blacks from the Caribbean, which the Caribbean blacks already have their own reparations, justice claims, called CARICOM. But again, my main concern is the lack of specificity. This is lynch-based reparations that is anchored in slavery. 
and as a result of the institution of slavery, those of us who descended from these people are out socioeconomic outcomes is home ownership, business ownership, higher education, health outcomes. We're at the bottom because it's being masked with data from other black people, black immigrants, and it's masking the failures of the American government and the benign neglect that they've had from us, those of us who descended from U.S. chattel slavery. And again, black immigrants have a lived racial experience where U.S. born, those of us that descended from U.S. chattel slavery, we have an inherited racial experience that goes back decades, and that's the difference. So we must be specific about who's included in reparations. And the next comment is reparations itself needs to be defined. There's a myth going around that says reparation takes many forms. That's not true. Reparations will close the lineage wealth gap. Anything else, education, um, anything pertaining to criminal justice, those are perks or in addition to but it should not be considered reparations because reparations will close the Lenin's wealth gap, and that's what the wealth gap is. It's not a racial wealth gap. It's the Lenin's wealth gap. You all have a great day, and thank you again thank you. for allowing me. Thank you. Uh, my name is Gene Gordon. I'm founder and director of Descendants of American Slaves for Economic and Social Justice. I first want to thank the uh, commission for taking your time and your efforts to come up with a sound resolution when you talk about reparations. I, uh, I'm not here to argue or debate with anybody when you talk about cash payments, cash subsidies, but I want you to take in consideration the condition that our country is in now. They're in Washington wrangling over how to pay their bills. You know, we have a $31 trillion debt, total national debt, $200 trillion total debt when you factor in Social Security, Medicare, and pension plans. Our country is bankrupt. But when they founded this country, when they founded this country, they came for, Jefferson said, for the pursuit of happiness. But George Mason who wrote the Virginia Declaration said, is that among which are the enjoyment of life and liberty with the means of acquiring property. When they had us in slavery, we were considered property. What is property? Property is not the thing. Property is the fruit of the rights and the powers of what the thing produces. That's the property. And we have to understand that. What is property? And that's what it is. So, in other words, I don't want to debate anybody about cash issue, but we want you guys to come to a resolution, something sustainable. We need capital. We need assets, capital assets. It's like saying, would you rather have $100,000 or the 40 acres and a mule? I'll take the 40 acres and a mule because it will produce $100,000 100 times over. But we, I just want to make you aware we just had, and we have to repair. The root word for reparation is repair. We have to repair ourselves 
and most importantly, repair the system. The one thing about the civil rights movement is they change policies and systems. If they wrote us all a check tomorrow and the system still remains the way it is, then it's all for naught. But let's look at capital ownership, assets, producing assets. Um, when you talk about property, oh, I'm almost done. But I, I, we just had legislation passed here in the state of Missouri called Citizen Land Development Co-op where we can redevelop the city and the citizens own the city, the infrastructure, you name it, the first ever been done in the history of this country and the world. And I made some copies for the uh, commission so you guys can take a look at it. And let's just come up with a sound resolution. I knew two minutes wouldn't allow me to get everything said, but come up with a sound resolution for uh, reparations. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, and my name is Deborah Ellis. I am a community social worker. I have an MSW from St. Louis University. I kind of lost my chain of thought. I'm so sorry. Um, the last speaker kind of floored me, no disrespect. But um, I just would like for you guys to understand that reparations should be a federal project, and also the priority should be on the lineage of the people that was actually harmed. I think many people don't realize how the black population in Missouri was here before it was founded as a state. Um, and, and limiting our thinking, such as what the country is broke, there are actually books that show you our country is not broke. Um, I guess that's all that I have to say right now. Just hearing some of the information being provided, I know people aren't really able to decipher what books would be good educational tools, but um, I think you guys should focus on lineage-based reparations. Um, it should be on a federal level, and also we should also highlight how long Missouri has actually had black people, which dates back prior to um, the Louisiana Purchase. I'm sorry, I lost my thought, but thanks for y'all. Thank Hi, thank you so much for taking this space to really take a look into our history as a people and as a nation together. My name is Carrie Lewis. I work as a entrepreneur and I'm also uh, heavily involved in community, organization, art, and I am a descendant of natives to this land. Everybody always hears this connotation of being Cherokee or Blackfoot. My father is also a descendant of slavery from the West African slave trade. He comes from the Mandingo tribe himself. Um, it is really tragic to understand the atrocities that have happened here amongst people when we live together and ride down the same streets and see the, the dilapidation that's taken place, the broken spirits, 
the lack of value systems within family, within communities, within our economic and social political systems, it is easier to build a longer table than it is a taller fence. And if our neighbors are doing well, they are less likely to rob us. There's less likely to be tragedy within our communities. So I don't understand where the distribution of funds is being misappropriated when you can see the way post-traumatic slave syndrome has given a group of people arrested development. We are so preoccupied with the, the negative effects of slave labor and the stigma that is being coined because it was a business decision. Slavery was a business decision. And to ignore the benefits of those systems that were given, to, that, that produced the wealth from slave labor, there needs to be a huge repatriation to the people to honor the people who came before us to build these wealth systems that certain people are benefiting from. I don't understand where the problem is in trying to determine why it's so hard for us to have systems that offer people home ownership, systems that offer people health. I mean, it's, we are dealing with nutritional and biological welfare in certain communities where there is no food freedom. Like people are suffering so much from their health that they can't even express the best version of themselves because they have been through uh, atrocities. I, my, my mother, she worked tirelessly, and she was married to my father. But I would ask her, Mom, why don't we have Sunday dinner? Now, some people have been fortunate enough to carry these traditions and values into their families. But she said, baby, your grandmother was sharecropping on Sunday. So we never got to sit down at the table and join hands and collectively evolve as a people, not just within our family, but within our communities to create spaces where we can come together and really create the, the, the change in the community and the systems that we want to see work for everyone. There's a selfishness here. And I don't understand why it is such a, a, a crime to see the alligator, the, the babies from alligators, uh, babies being eaten by alligators because people have hunted with them and see the benefits of slavery and not want to appropriate the wealth through home ownership and just give people the opportunity to really flourish without the oppression. So I want to thank you all for sitting here and really taking the time out to have this conversation, to value each other as we should, as because we, we have contributions to be made to society as a whole that we are not able to make because of the systematic oppression upon a race of people for the sake of free labor. And it's, tra it's really poor and, 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 and a, a sham to the creation that God has made for us as people, as human beings.
Good evening. My name is Daisha Polk. Uh, I'm a 34-year-old mother, um, creative, um, dare I say, activist, organizer. Um, I'm not speaking on behalf of anyone but myself. Um, I know that all of us in this room right now um, understand that the topic of reparations is very complex and controversial. But when we refer to compensation or restitution for the historical and ongoing racial injustices experienced by African Americans, including slavery, segregation, and systemic discrimination, no one here could argue that it is a necessary step towards addressing those historical injustices, promoting racial equity, and addressing the persistent wealth and opportunity gaps that exist between African Americans and other racial and ethnic groups. Now, I mean, we all, I believe, <laughs> Uh, agree that reparations could provide financial resources and opportunities that will address systemic inequalities, improve educational economic outcomes, and promote social and racial justice. Um, but there are some that would argue that reparations could be logistically challenging to implement and that it may be difficult to determine who is eligible for compensation and how much they should receive. It is important to note that there is no singular consensus on how reparations should be implemented or what their precise effects would be, but the impact of reparations would depend on various factors, including specific design of our programs, the amount of compensation provided, and the broader social and economic context in which they're implemented. Ultimately, the, the question of whether or not to provide reparations and what the consequences would be as a matter of societal, political, and ethical debate, any decision regarding reparations would require careful consideration, dialogue, examination of the political benefits, the potential benefits, drawbacks, and implications for all parties involved. I did detail a few strategies that I felt like uh, would be the best use of receiving and distributing reparations for generational wealth, um, but, and I won't take very long. <laughs> um, but one, we must always start for, first and foremost with education because without investing in quality education and skill development programs for individuals and communities, I mean, where will we be? Uh, that is a huge issue that we have today with so many seats empty. I believe it has a lot to do with literacy um, and people's ability to comprehend the magnitude of a reparations committee. I am not here to question whether any of you are competent or capable of being able to be judges of whether we should or shouldn't receive reparations without even knowing whether you agree but I'm not going to harp on that. <laughs> uh, but let's also talk about, uh, as the young lady before me stated, as entrepreneurs, uh, there's a huge initiative that needs to be put in place to promote entrepreneurship support, startup capital, business incubators, mentorship programs, leading up to financial literacy, affordable housing, community development infrastructure, access to capital and banking services, support for small minority-owned businesses already established, intergenerational wealth transfer, what the young lady said before me about lineage, data collection, accountability, collaboration and community involvement. These are so many points that need to be hit when it comes down to this reparations committee, and I will make sure that I get my notes to you all. Thank you for your time. Hi, my name is Marvina Halton, and I'm here representing the ADOS Advocacy Foundation. I was at the first meeting. I plan on being at as many as possible. But 
I would like to just read our mission statement, but I, before I do that, I would like to say that um, our organization was the organization that brought reparations to the forefront, to the debate stage. When you heard Mary Ann Williamson talking about reparation on the 2019 debate stage, that was following our first national conference in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, in October of 2019, Mary Ann did show up. We invited all of the candidates, but she actually showed up. Anyway, so our mission statement, the American Descendants of Slavery Advocacy Foundation is a grassroots organization that arose in response to a national landscape rife with yawning racialized gaps with an eye toward the origins of these asymmetrical outcomes and located, and located in the institution of slavery. Our organization prioritizes reparations for descendants of channel slavery in the United States of America. Ours is an experience, divined, uh, an experience defined by the unique shared cost of multi-generational plunder, and as we stand in the shoes of our ancestors, we insist upon a specific group designation as essential to this undertaking. During Reconstruction, America reneged on the promise of 40 acres and a mule, depriving us of the fruits of citizenship and relegating us to a permanent bottom cast within the country that our ancestors built. Reparations is our birthright and must come through multi-generational direct payments and a redistribution of land that rights the wrongs of the great land robbery. A debt must be paid and our inheritance protected. We insist upon a, an historic targeted allotment of policy and protections that fulfills the promise of economic inclusion and integrates the descendants of channel slavery into the drivers of wealth. This restoration, which brings us to alignment with the full measure of our contribution to the United States requires mechanisms to safeguard against subprime and predatory capital and sweeping anti-discrimination legislation targeted for the protection of and accelerated wealth creation of the descendants of channel slavery in the United States. Although our justice claim for reparations is sacred to Adolf, American descendants of slavery, we are fiercely committed to advocating for policies that eliminate the divides faced by black Americans with immigrant backgrounds. We recognize the lived experiences of racial and discrimination among all black people in America, and we invite all black people of all backgrounds to join us in this cause. So specificity is important, although we are advocating for all black people, but our, our justice claim, that's sacred. My name is uh, Dr. Kim V. Robinson, and I did my dissertation on economic inequality and um, trauma-informed care for African Americans, and I would like to give you a copy of my dissertation. Um, most people have said the things that I want to say, but um, what I would like to add is that um, I'm a science teacher. I've been teaching for like 20 years in the 
city schools. But I have a unique uh, view because my parents, um, my mom was a housekeeper, and she integra we integrated Ladue. And um, one young man in the class before me, his name is Stephen Kelvey, um, I, I fail to disagree with you. We, ha we have money here, especially here in St. Louis. But um, I want to look at solutions for how we can not only uh, make money, but um, restore, like, some of the towns that you destroyed. Um, and I, I advocate doing that through STEM. I think we should have, like, STEM learning centers, like, like they do in Singapore, where our kids learn how to do advanced STEM, the kind of things you do at Wash U, Harvard, MIT, not the kind of things they're exposed to or they won't get exposed to in education in our, in our schools, where they learn to develop corporations, STEM corpora corporations, and the money can just be there, and it flows and it flows and flows in our communities, and it's possible. It's something we need, like, uh, innovation, acceleration uh, centers to redevelop those cities, uh, uh, what do we call it, a black Wall Street, redevelop that. Or um, the other thing I wanted to say is AI. It's coming. There's a book called The End of Work. Um, that's going to impact our people. They're not, there aren't going to be any jobs. So we need to have a, they need to have a living wage. And, I don't, and one way to do that is for them to have their own, their own uh, companies. So that's all I want to say. Thank you. No, you're good. You're good. That's fine. I got it. All right, hello. Hi, my name is Kalia Booker. I am a St. Louis County resident. Uh, I'm from Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, but the important part is I graduated two weeks ago. Ooh, nobody cares. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say that for like the next six months. I'm sorry. Okay, so my question really, uh, really pertains to this process. Um, just like someone said before, uh, my biggest concern really is about comprehension of this process and literacy. Uh, especially for like our residents and everything like that. Not everybody works in this work, and not everybody has degrees, and not everybody has the time to really spend learning about reparations and historical trauma and health and all these beautiful things that we get time to focus on. Uh, and so my biggest concern is, uh, or questions really was, is this process similar to efforts in other cities and which ones? Uh, and so that way, if there is a process that is similar, that other pe people in their spare time can look that up. So I hope that's answered in the next meeting. Uh, and then also, if this process uh, is going to continue, obviously it will. I've seen the phases, and we talked about it during the first meeting, and uh, it wasn't really replicated or what's the word? repeated this meeting uh, as far as the phases. And I just wanted to make sure that if that process is to be flexible and change and everything like that, that that is remained as transparent as possible. Um, because I think consistency is important for our residents who are not taking the time out every day to really devote to this process, even though it's important and will affect them. Uh, so yeah, and then my last thing was, is there possible that this process, can there be a working document that is showed in a more uh, visual way? I think that that would be a little bit more helpful, although I know that we're going to be writing a bunch of information, everybody's going to be taking notes, and minutes will be shared. Um, if there's a way that we can actually visually show this is phase one, this is phase two, uh, a little bit more uh, visually, basically just sharing information in different ways to make sure that it is as uh, comprehensible, comprehensible, that's a word, um, I think. Um, make sure I'm saying everything. This is a question. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, when we're talking about organizing. Oh, yeah. Mm, that's it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jada Peaton. I am a resident in Benton Park. Um, I'm not from St. Louis, but I am from I'm from the South, <laughs> so I know a little bit about general lineages of slavery, especially being that my family lives in the same town where they were owned in, and that is where they still reside today. Um, but I'm not really up here to talk about that. Uh, I'm a little bit curious about how this commission is connecting to commissions across the U.S. that are also talking about reparations in their cities. I'm a little bit curious if there is going to be any connection, especially with San Francisco and what's going on with California in terms of their reparations processes. At the beginning of May, uh, the California Reparations Task Force released like a thousand page document um, going through all of the different ways that reparations can look like for uh, black Californians and I think that it could provide um, some interesting guidelines and create a little bit more uh, information about the reparation process and what that can look like in its entirety, not just talking about like direct compensation, but also um, non-compensational forms of reparations. Um, so yeah, that's more of what my comment is like. Is there anything being done to like connect these commissions across the country where black residents are like talking through what reparations can look, look like to them. I think sometimes we get segmented in our cities and we forget that like this affects all of us across the United States and not just the United States but across the global south like in general U.S. imperialism and colonialism has like stretched across the globe and when we talk about like slavery and when we talk about like reparations like these are ever expanding conversations because like black people exist in the margins in all of those places no matter where we go um so yeah i guess i'm a little bit curious about not just that but even like a global outreach um there is a reparations conversation going on in nova scotia um, at the end of this month where they'll be talking about reparations more on a global scale um, for black and indigenous people. So yeah, I guess my comments more so like just putting y'all in touch with reparations conversations happening more widely. Good evening. My name is Sheila Pargo. I'm a resident of North St. Louis City. After um, leaving the city at the age of 19 to move out to the county, where I was for about 35 years in North County, and returning to North St. Louis City and my family home in 2012. I'll make this short. I raised two kids, and as we were coming to visit mom, my mom or their grandma and grandpa, and I cannot tell them of all the places that I enjoy, the movie theaters, the uh, amenities that I enjoyed growing up in North St. Louis City. I'm telling my kids this, but I can't show them that. So that broke my heart. 
and it gave me the desire to do something, do something to help change what we were experiencing. So what I want to share with you all is a book I'm reading. From Here to Equality, Reparations for Black Americans in the 21st Century. I agree with the authors of this book that what we as a culture need to do is to demand the reparations, which is financial, from the federal government full of white supremacists that are still there. It's, that's where our reparations should come from. There is uh, a passage in here I want to share with you. Tell you a little about the author. William Doherty and A. Kristen Mullen uh, confront injustices head on and make the most comprehensive case to date for economic reparations for U.S. descendants of slavery. And after opening the book with a stark assessment of the intergenerational effects of white supremacy on black economic well-being, Doherty and Mullen look to both the past and the present to measure the inequalities born of slavery. I heard a lot of different uh, avenues of addressing that from all of us here. And it's hard to pick one particular specific way to address what we're talking about now in reparations. So I have a suggestion that everyone here that's interested in addressing reparations, we just take everyone's interest and put it in a container and we pull them out one at a time and we commit to working on each one of those until we resolve what that is versus trying to do it all at one time. So you will be hearing more from me and what I consider uh, some resolutions that are coming from these people here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm back. Denise O'Tay. And when you talk about reparation, the first thing that comes to my mind is my community needs therapy, mental therapy because living through slavery, there was a mindset that was passed down generations and generations and generations. We, it was like we had to learn how to cope with things because we never knew what was going to be thrown at us. So we not only have to suffer with food deserts in our communities, the mental health is is top dog to me. I mean, free mental health. I wish I had it when I was raising my children. And I'm not that old. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. But if they had therapy readily available when my kids were growing up, there's a lot of things that they think about or mentally suffer from now that they would not have suffered from. Thank you. Now I can get it back. 
very powerful statement. Uh, you have been heard, and so, so others may be uh, crafting uh, comments to make in a few minutes, but I just want to assure everyone that we are capturing these comments. We're capturing the names of books. Uh, we're getting information about uh, uh, areas that we can explore, um, websites, historical uh, um, organizations, and so I really appreciate all of this. So, uh, uh, again, are there additional questions? If not, then we'll turn it over uh, to uh, Jada Brooks. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you guys for your comments today. Um, I want to tell you guys more about the ways that you can contact us. Um, so if you guys can maybe write it down. I know you guys had some really good thoughts um, that I want to make sure that we we were clear on. So if you guys want to email us, I'm going to tell you guys the email um, until we can provide you guys with the website. Um, so that's Mitchell, and that's M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-B-E at St. Louis. And that's with no dot. That's S T L O U I S dash Mo M O dot gov. Again, that's M I T C H E L L V E at St. Louis with no dot slash Mo M O dot gov. And I want to inform you guys on. Did I get that right, Vernon? Okay. Our next meeting. It's going to be at New Northside Family Life Center. And that is the center and not the church. That's two different locations. And I'm going to give you guys the address. So it's New Northside Family Center, Boulevard, St. Louis, Missouri, 63147. And our next meeting is Saturday, June 24th. From 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Yep. And again, we are looking to spread out our locations so that way we can be considerate of the locations of everybody in the city of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. It's New Northside Family Life Center, Boulevard, St. Louis, Missouri. Six three one four seven. Did I get that right? I don't. Can I have the number? Yeah, I don't have the numbers. I'm sorry. Oh, it's on Bill Fellow. I'm young. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. It's on good, fellow. 5939 Good Fellow Boulevard. Hmm. I'm going to say the I know the the um 63147. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Occasion. Look forward to seeing you in the future. Uh, our comment was made about.
spreading this information and, and advertising it more broadly, and we had a response. Of course, you've heard the response, and uh, we will do that even more so. So I ask you, beg you, to please share the information uh, about the uh, commission, and we look forward to the work that we'll be doing uh, together for the rest of the year. Thank you.